cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. My name is Kingsley Kipuri. Finally, finally, finally back after a couple of weeks off. Really great to be back. Greg Nicholson has been holding the fort. Thank you very much, Greg. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm glad you're back. I've got to be honest. <laughs> that's, that's all I ever wanted to hear, man. I literally just went away so you guys could appreciate me and the little things I do. Bringing coffee, water, the basics. Um, yeah, you know my phone's been acting up, so I haven't been keeping up too much with the news. So I just, I'm just gonna assume everything's chilled. No, nothing major's happened in the country in the past two weeks. Chilled vibes. No, of course not. I yeah, mean, yeah, same old. Same nothing to update nothing you on. Crazy. Today we're gonna be talking a bit about taxis. Um, and you know, you know I'm a taxi guy all day, every day. So I've got, I've got some stories. I remember being in a taxi once upon a time, and there was like a gentle whiff of smoke that started filling the the taxi. I was headed home from work, and and somebody shouts umlilo. And I was relatively new in the country, so the only thing I knew about the word umlilo was the song. <laughs> I don't remember who sings it. The song umlilo. So I thought, the big Nas yeah, the big like Nas song. So I thought everybody was just, I thought it was just a vibe. And I didn't make the connect. I thought umlilo meant like fire as in the vibe, not fire as in you will die. And before you know it, we're all standing outside. The smoke is now, you know, fill the taxi and the taxi catches fire and almost explodes. So a lot happened that day. Um, all saying this to explain that today we'll be talking about taxis, right? Uh, and I know I say that in jest, but it's been a big, big topic of conversation of the past couple of months. Conversations around how important the taxi industry is to the country. Conversations around safety issues, both within the industry, within di- different drivers and associations, but also for women and conversations around the safety or lack of safety of taxis for women. So today we've structured a show to chat to a few people on different sides of this to get a sense of this taxi issue. Contextualize the strikes based on an understanding of the of the taxi industry and how it evolved, um, giving context to things like associations, things like the owner-driver system, things like uh, how affordable these things are for the, for the drivers themselves, understanding rivalries, tribalism, violence, um, and really, really making sure that ideally by the end we've got a good sense of the industry and contextualizing some of the challenges that, that we found over the past couple of weeks. In studio, the first person we'll be interviewing is Mr. Eric Motswane, somebody we've been trying to have on for, for a couple of years. So Eric, I'm glad that you're finally here. Um, Eric was former part of the, the Greater Johannesburg Regional Taxi Council and has a lot of, a lot of experience in the industry. Eric, uh, Eric welcome to the studio. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So Eric, just to get started, um, I really just want to talk about the, some of the most sort of dramatic parts of your involvement with this. So what, what was your role in trying to get the BRT or rare via system as we now know it off the ground? And what was your role in terms of relation to the taxi industry? And just, just to jump in quickly Please. as well for some of our listeners who aren't in Johannesburg. Yeah. That's the new bus system that came up in Johannesburg. When was it, Eric? About? In 2009. Mm. Yeah. So do you want to take us through your role in that process? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Uh, uh, but by the, by the time the city came up with the concept of the okay. BRT system, uh, way back in 2007, 2006, by then I was uh, the chairman of the Regional Taxi Council, yeah. uh, taxi body in charge of tax associations within the city of Johannesburg. And, and of course, uh, uh, I mean, uh, the, the industry was quite informal by then. And, uh, and, and coming up with a, a, a concept like, 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 like PRT system was, was like a revolution, you know, uh, of public transport within mm. the city of Johannesburg. And of course, uh, given the 
level of literacy within the tech industry, uh, given the fact that I mean the industry is used to its comfort zone, you know. Uh, when you come up with something new, obviously it will be first be met with resistance, you know, in terms of what is the culture of the tech industry rather than engagement. And, and that was by far the most difficult part. Uh, you can say, you know, let's, let's, let's sit down and, and listen to what the city is saying, you know, because by then there were two taxi bodies, even now, two taxi bodies within the city of Johannesburg. That is the regional taxi council yeah. and toxic taxi management. And those two taxi bodies had not seen eye to eye many, many years before then, you know, and uh, given a history of many initiatives by, by governments that were resisted by the tax industry, including recapitalization for yeah. that meta yeah. uh, program, uh, which didn't work because the industry did not uh, read from the same page and, 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 and engage a government, you know, uh, as a united front, you know, hence the, the thing collapsed. And of course, it, it's quite expensive. Uh, today it's, it's it's uneconomical for the industry to run because the industry did not challenge it uh, as a united front, you know. So we looked at uh, uh, initiatives like those, including uh, the initiative by government to try and legalize the tax industry using uh, what was called the legal com- legal campaign uh, 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 conversion of the permits, operating licenses, you know. Which, which initiative did not uh, accomplish uh, the necessary uh, objectives, you know, because the industry did not read uh, from the same page, you know. So we looked at those and said, uh, given this radical one, uh, we need to change a bit and say we must work together. The two taxi bodies must work together. Mm. Uh, and, of course, it was a very precarious move. Uh, to take, you know, to go and shake hands with top six taxi management, you know, but with God on our side, we're able to shake hands and uh, we engage the city as a united front in terms of the PRT system. Okay. So for those who don't understand the, perhaps some of the structures you're mentioning, but I think perhaps some of the, the precariousness which you've mentioned may be lost on them. Could you give us a sense of the, of the mistrust and the rivalry between these two taxi bodies that you've mentioned, uh, top six and regional tax council and why, and the kind of intensity and perhaps even intimidation that you faced in, in trying to create this, this process or facilitate it? Well, uh, historically the yeah. two taxi bodies had, had not seen eye to eye. Uh, for, for many years by then, uh, simply because the the council which which falls under Santaco, so to say, and top six management fell under a national tax alliance. So yeah. there was a this tussle of which structure is government recognized, which one is not government recognized, you know. And then, of course, it, it's natural that uh, those that will claim in inverted commas to understand what government is saying would be seen as 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 actually betraying uh, the tax industry, you know, uh, but actually using this challenge of recognition and non-recognition, you know. And that became a challenge because, remember, tax operations by their nature are completely intertwined, you know. So if structures don't see eye to eye and operations and routes are intertwined, to solve a small problem can actually lead to bloodbath, you know. So it was imperative that at that point we, we we narrow the gap and come together as both structures, you know. And of course, I mean, there's been lots of uh, in, engaging government in uh, in in, in uh, projects like BRT uh, as a United Front. Was that Jobek became quite stable uh, in terms of violence uh, by then, you know, because then both structures were able to sit under the same roof. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I'm curious about just your. 
you know, you having to, you know, talk to people across who you are supposed to, you know, be distrustful of. And by nature of this having to work, you need to talk to people at top six and have to come to some agreement. So I'm curious about, you know, some of the, some of the intimidation you faced, some of the measures you might have had to go to to have these conversations. Do you have any sort of personal anecdotes or memories about some of the, you know, situations you found yourself in when trying to create a way forward? Yeah, it, it, it was quite difficult because, you know, the nature of the industry and the culture in the industry is that you, you work with mandate, you know. Even if you have good ideas, but if you don't have a mandate to move forward, yeah. you know. So my team gave me a mandate to, to engage uh, top six taxi management, which was quite a risk for me to do because anything could have happened. Because remember, the two taxi police had seen violence and, and, and people languishing in jail between themselves, you know. And, and, and of course, I mean, I, 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 I Historically, I was intimidated. I came under fire from from top six. Literally, came literally, up, literally came, came under up. fire. Yeah. You know, I mean, the house I stay in, I built that house three times because of the violence for that matter. You know, uh, but I mean, uh, being a visionary, a leadership leader, you know, uh, being you know having the ability to bounce back. Yeah. You know, you you be being resilient. You, you you move forward. You know, and and you provide leadership where. It, 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 it's it's very difficult situation, you know, or circumstances. And absolutely, and I, I don't think it's a stretch to call yourself a visionary leader after having to go through some of this. Um, I mean, I think just sticking to one thing, another thing that came up was was a tribal element in this. Um, are there elements of you know certain tribes seen, being seen as more legitimate um, within the taxi industry, others being seen as outsiders? Was that an element that comes up a lot in in, in these relationships? Well, well, there's no doubt that uh, the industry has. A particular inclination, you know, of a particular tribe, yeah. you know, in terms of uh, uh, Zulu, Zulu dominant. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite, quite and, and of course, in order to be able to gel yeah. with it, I mean, you've you've got to learn that culture. Yeah, you know, you've got to learn that culture. You've you've got to learn that tradition. You know, you've got to come to the level of the people. You know, yeah. so that the people see you as as one of them. You know, which is something. That I did myself, you know. I I I spent many years in 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 Kazakhstan uh, villages, you know, learning the culture, learning the tradition, you know, and that's the reason why I was able to emerge as a leader amongst them because I mean I was able to identify with them. They were able to identify with me. Okay, thank you. I mean, you're painting a picture of extreme rivalry, <laughs> potential for violence. Um, it sounds like a very male dominant, you know, single tribe dominant situation. Um, I'd love if you give us some context on this. Um, could you speak a bit about the, how we got to this situation? We have top six and you have, you know, uh, the RTC and how do we, what do you, could you speak a bit about the origins of the taxi industry? Perhaps, you know, you know, pre 94 as an alternative to buses and how we arrived at this situation. Could you speak a bit about that? Well, the history of the industry is yeah. that, uh, I mean, th- this is a black-owned uh, initiative. Yeah. You know, uh, many, many routes were crafted by the tax industry itself. So just know. self-regulated norms of yes, operating. you know, and, and of course it was for government to enhance, you know. Uh, but at, at, at the time, the industry was regulated in the beginning and later it was deregulated, yeah. you know, and then it was then a free-for-all, you know. And I think that's where uh, problems came. But... Uh, with time, then government decided, no, now they're going to formalize the tax industry, yeah. you know. And I think it was at that point where the government was trying to formalize the industry, trying to get reliable databases where the tax industry now, uh, some associations started merging with others, yeah. some started splitting with others. 
uh, some trying to get the most of the routes as the registration of the routes were was underway, and and that that's where cost uh, that that's where the trouble came, and and also take into account that the in- industry was going through an evolution at that time from the sedans to the minibuses to the mm-hmm. minibuses, you know, and of course then the intervention of mass transit. Uh, of the buses. When you when you talk about the early days of regulation, is that when I think it's around the 60s when the taxi industry started sort of yes. springing up and my understanding is that the apartheid government then favored the government sponsored buses and the rail and the rail system and the rail system, yeah. but yeah. the taxis sort of found their own ways to to provide yeah. transport yeah. for people yeah. from I guess townships and whatnot. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, by far, I mean there were no Permit or operating license issued to taxi operators yeah. by then, you know, because then there was the rail and then there were also buses that were running along. Uh, and there was a lot of piracy, you know, from the taxi operators by then, you know. That piracy? Read, yeah, I mean, they were pirating, you know. They, they were transporting uh, passengers across South Africa everywhere, you know, but like illegally, mm-hmm. yep. you know, I- illegally because then no operating licenses were issued by then, you know. But they, they 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 persisted, you know, uh, until I mean at, at the point where they were given uh, permits, you know, but quite limited, you know. But I think the challenge happens as 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 as, as when the the industry was deregulated. Was that in the eighties? Yes, that was early eighties. Why why was that that the all of a sudden the government decided to to open the industry up much more? Well, I I, I the only uh, logical uh, conclusion I can come to is that I think the industry was becoming a threat you know uh, to the government by to the then government you know and and uh, probably the deregulation the, the the idea began behind the deregulation was 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 probably to ferment violence you know so that it causes confusion mm-hmm. and of course it did go that direction unfortunately we still enjoying the legacy of that uh, deregulation today you know uh, uh, obviously, violence has not left us in the taxi industry, yeah. you know. But when 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 people talk about violence and analyze violence, uh, there's very little that that gets spoken about the role of government uh, in the violence as such. You know, we know that I mean, there's the level of corruption is quite high. The level of uh, uh, people being conflicted as government officials and owning taxis is, is, is rife, you know. Uh, uh, the non-alignment of the three spheres of government where you find national saying this, province saying this, municipality saying this, is a problem, you know. Uh, for me, it's a collapse, it's a sheer collapse of leadership on both the uh, government and the tax industry. Uh, because uh, I feel that uh, if you're a leader... You know, just a leader when things are nice, you know. So we know that transport is a backbone of the economy, and it hinges a lot on politics. You know, if there's political willingness to align the industry properly and support it, and 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 kind of like uh, make sure that the industry is well governed, yeah. that there's proper governance, uh, the industry is corporatized to run as business, you know, which is key for me. Because leaving the industry in the in the state in which it is informal, it will not be able to take any any challenge 
in terms of uh, aligning it into a mainstream public transport system mm. because it's it's informal. That's why there's, there'll always be resistance, mm. you know. But my view is that if I had a, if I if I had it my way, I'd put all my money in corporatizing the taxi industry so that it remains as business. Yeah, I um, I think I'm, I'm glad that you brought this up. This sort of relationship between taxis and government. Um, I'm curious, just given the history that you've talked us through. Thank you. Between the 60s, you know, 70s up till till now, is part of the problem that perhaps the DNA of the taxi industry is to be at odds with regulation and to be at government uh, in that, you know, you know, pre-94 governments and apartheid governments, you know, would always saw taxis as a, as a, as a sort of a, a necessary evil, a grudge. Mm. And those regulations were not designed for the industry to flourish. It was about controlling, containing. So it's part of the issue that there's just fundamentally in the DNA of the taxi industry, a mistrust of government and a desire to remain informal, a desire to play by their own rules. Is that something that we have to overcome? Yes, that, that, that must be over. Okay. It, it has to overcome that uh, at all costs. Uh, at all costs, both by, by government and the taxi industry itself. You know, I would like to see a taxi industry that uh, take the initiative to self-regulate. You know, uh, I, would, I would like to see a government that creates an environment where there's continuous dialogue in terms of sharing ideas, you know, uh, about the future of the tech industry. Yeah. You know, uh, I'd like to see a situation where, for example, we are in BRT, you know, for about six years now. We are able to look, look at the industry from a different perspective. You know, that platform must be created where we're able to share ideas with our colleagues. And say, since say six years down the line, out of the industry, this is this is what we can share with you in terms of being innovative. You know, it is very sad seeing seeing taxis operating twenty four hours. You know, without a rest, simply because they cannot afford. You know, it becomes very sad. It's very sad when taxis march to the street because taxis get uh, impounded. You know, for me, it I see an industry that is that has run out of ideas. You know. I see an industry that has reached the apex, you know. But remember, once once you reach the apex, you need to go back to the drawing board. The drawing board is not what is there, it, you know. Someone needs to create a drawing board where the industry can go back to and say, but how do we become more innovative, yeah. you know, moving forward, you know, because obviously you can bring all sorts of public transport systems, but there must be an integrated public transport system where the customer is mm-hmm. put at the fore. So that the customer can have a choice whether it goes to rail, bus, or taxi. Yeah. Okay. So just so now that we're running a little bit out of time, um, I think some of our listeners might be interested in just understanding some of the basics uh, of how the taxi industry works. Uh, perhaps let's use Johannesburg in Johannesburg as an example. So if I wanted to own a taxi or own some taxis, a few taxis, can I just buy one? Do I have to join an association? How do I get a route? How does all that work? I think the first thing is to get an operating license and then uh, you join a particular tax association mm-hmm. uh, that will allow you to use that operating license because then the operating license would, would, would depict the roots of a particular tax association. If they allow you, then you pay the training fee, then you buy the combi, then you are a full, you're, you're, an, you're an operator. Mm-hmm. Yes. And how straightforward or not straightforward is that? Given that, as you said, roots are power, and I imagine the more taxis you have, the more competition there is. So how welcome am I with my new five taxis just walking in and saying, hey, guys, I, w- I want to be part of this? Well, the challenge yeah. is, the challenge is, like I said, self-regulation mm. and what is there in terms of the law, mm. right? 
uh, obviously within the city there is a certain capacity that the, a, a particular municipality can have. Yeah. That they can have so many taxes within a municipality. Yeah. Right. But if those laws, the rationalization plans, for example, integrated plans, uh, they do not uh, work, work together with what constitutes the association, because remember the association must also be able to rationalize and say you can have five taxes per person. But if the taxi association open floodgates yeah. and it goes against the government rationalization plans, then that, that's how you have the violence. Because then you have more taxes than necessary, but there's no regulation. And like I said in the beginning, the alignment between the three spheres of government. Because authorities lie at different levels. Hmm. The municipality might not have the authority to regulate the operating licenses. But if, if provincial government opens up, then it's the municipality that suffers. So there must be able, to, there must be an alignment. And how prof- profitable? So I think I was reading there was something roughly around six hundred thousand taxis, or a few years ago, that's what it said, on the roads in South Africa. And the industry has a turnover of I don't know, thirty or forty billion rand, or something very high like that. But is it still profitable to own taxis? Well, last week with these taxi strikes, we saw this issue of how the interest rates. Um, taxi owners are charged, and they seem very high. Is it still profitable, or uh, are taxi owners only only making sort of marginal returns? I, I doubt if the industry is profitable. Hence, I said uh, the industry has reached a point where they've run out of ideas. You know, I don't think it's it's, it's profitable now. But when you when you take one step back, you realize that at a point where the government introduced the recapitalization pro- program, that's where the industry would have called the shots and said this thing is not. Uh, Economical is not going to be affordable. This is how we want it. You know, so the the government used the failure of the industry to engage them as a unit. Mm. Yes, and mm. now today that thing is not affordable. It, 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 it it's an elephant in the room. So it sounds like you're just describing an oversaturation. Of course, people need to get around. You know, the need for transport is clear. But perhaps when you know there's an issue about how many taxis are, allow this thing to be profitable. So you're speaking about recapitalization. Could you? I know Greg, you did some research on this, but could you? Could you speak about the intentions of that and where it fell apart? I know you're speaking about. Could you give us more details about the intent of recapitalization? And it sounds like an opportunity that was lost. I mean. The intention were very good intentions, yeah. you know, to to try and get rid of score coro taxes. Okay, so the as, ten year old, fifteen year old taxes. Yes, as, as far as possible. You we know, put up money for you to get an. A, a, yes, a you know, and, and have yeah. mostly, by and large, you know, roadworthy vehicles. Yes. You know, uh, but unfortunately, I think when it comes to the uh, economics, yeah. I think that's where the industry did not do a, a good job. Unfortunately, you know, I know at some point Santaco did come with. Uh, uh, some schemes, uh, collaboration with banks, which, which worked much better, but unfortunately those schemes collapsed along the way. But the recapitalization program had all the good intentions, but in, in reality it's not affordable. Yeah, I mean, I Greg mentioned also, also a nice opportunity of as you provide funding for these safer, newer, you know, vehicles, there's an opportunity to now register everybody and make sure you exactly. know who the owner is, who the driver exactly. is. There's a beautiful moment there too. That's what government can get correct in terms of a reliable database so that it knows Who's in the tax industry? Who's legal? Who's not legal? And how much everybody's making for tax purposes? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although the requirement to have an operating license in the tax industry yeah. is that you must have a, you must be a taxpayer. So very few people uh, don't know that actually the industry is paying tax. You know, it's a condition. You'll never get an operator unless unless you're operating illegal. Yeah. But any legal operator is a taxpayer in South Africa. 
Africa. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think you've been very clear about the misalignment on the government side. I think you spoke about national, provincial, and other local level. And, and I think what you're saying is there's a, that lack of alignment is part of the problem here and policy alignment. On the, I'm curious about the taxi side. You've already described sort of the, the, the mistrust between the large bodies. You, uh, who's legitimate and who's not legitimate. Um, we've just, we've talked about the DNA being, you know, perhaps at odds with government and being informal as just part of how things are done. What, what do you think we need to see from the, from the taxi side? Um, what are the, what are the, what are the shortcomings on the taxi side for us to have a, a frank conversation about affordability and, and, and saturation, um, uh, and a way to, to, to actually regulate the industry in a way that is profitable? And safe for everybody and, and, and is a, a viable living, living business for the, for the owners and drivers. Well, I, I think what is key yeah. is to really put all the money in, 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 in capacitating the, the tax industry. Okay. You know, number one. Number two, there must be enough research, uh, into actually who are the players, you know, in the tax industry. You know, historically, government has put lots and lots of money in trainings, you know. But if you look at the basis of training, it does not have any intervention uh, for that matter because I think there isn't enough research, you know, to, to, to look into actually the players, how did the drivers come into the, into the, into play, uh, who, who are the owners? You know, uh, do the people that you see in the leadership, are they the people making the decisions or there are other people that are making decisions, you know? And, and, and remember that there's, there's, there's also a lot, uh, I mean, I remember when we started in PRT, we did a transformation impact study, you know, that will show how many people are going to be affected by the introduction of PRT so that we mitigate, you know, the outcry that says there'll be, it will cause joblessness, you know, it will be loss of income, you know, I mean, for example, uh, people that wash taxis that don't have any uh, formal agreement with taxis, we also include that. I mean, today they're washing the PRT passes in a formalized sector because we made sure that we, 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 we our study is, is as, 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 as practical as possible, you know. So it's key that the capacitation uh, takes place. The industry is corporatized to run like business. It, it cannot be that the, the violence becomes the the order of the day uh, forever. You know, the industry plays a very important role uh, in the economy uh, of South Africa, and it needs to find its, its rightful place. You know, uh, I mean, I can give an example. There'll be a rhetoric that says, no, the industry must be subsidized, blah, blah, blah. The leadership must be able to explain to the tax industry mm. what is a subsidy, because a subsidy has got its own pros and cons and its own strict regulations. You know, it's not like plucking an orchard, you know, a fruit from an orchard tree in the morning. You know, but the industry must right must find its rightful its, its rightful place because it's playing a very important role in the economy of our country. Fantastic. Eric, thank you so much for making time for us. Uh, uh, that was a really helpful breakdown and contextualization. And you know, I'm still working on a special on the, on the creation of Rio Vaya. So oh, I'll yes. try and hunt you down so we can do another no, private interview. Sure. Mr. Eric Motswane, former chairman of the Greater Johannesburg Regional Taxi Council. Thank you. Thank you. Thank sir. you deeply. You're welcome. Thank you very much. Okay. Yeah. If you're tuning in, we're still on the Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. We're talking about the taxi industry. We're talking about the taxi industry. I mean, there's been a lot of conversations around 
what's going on? What's the affordability challenge? What's the what's the regulatory challenges, and how do we make sure that they function in a way that's 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 legal, in a way that's safe for everybody, in a way that's safe for women, and it's a way that that preserves the livelihood of many many South Africans around the country. Want to take a short break? We'll be right back. You're back with us on the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Next, we're going to talk about a more specific aspect of the violence question when regards to taxis. And this is about safety for women. Um, probably from about March and April coming in, there were a lot of reports around women getting harassed, raped, or even killed um, as a result of just trying to you know, do the basics, which is get around, get to work, get home, and move around. So around this, we'll be talking to Ms. Uh, Lebohang Ramafoko, uh, who's the CEO of Seoul City Institute for Social Justice. Uh, Lebohang, can you hear us? Yes, I can hear you. Wonderful. Welcome to the show. Uh, Le Wuhang, I mean, you know, the, the, the data's out there. I mean, a, a survey by Action Aid said that, you know, almost 60% of women who travel by taxi say they've experienced violence or harassment. So I think what's, what's clear is that this, the, the, the reports and the, the uh, headline catching news we got, those were not isolated incidents. This is clearly a, a systemic issue. Um, now, as part of you know your work with Soul City, um, you've done some engagement with women in communities around this. Uh, could you speak about some of the feedback you got, you know, from everyday women about their realities of just trying to use public transport? Yeah, as you said, this is unfortunately a daily occurrence for yeah. women. Yeah. But we really need. Sorry, Lebohanka, you hear us? Okay, we'll just work behind the scenes, sort of to. To get this, you know, sorted. Um, so I mean, so Greg, I mean, as we, you know, we did the research for this and as we had the, the various hashtags, you know, whether you're talking about taxi, taxi safety or hashtag men are trash, I think what, what, what was driven home was that yes, the, what makes headlines is when, you know, when there's a very massive murder or a kidnapping, but I think what's clear is that these are not, this is, this is something that happens every day. The risk of being, being harassed in the taxi, by the you know by a driver or by other commuters, I mean you and I both use taxis, and then you know just the the reality of a bri taxi rank or a north taxi rank as just not as being a very hostile and unsafe you know unsafe space and I remember looking at the the stats for this, I think it was something about one or two percent of the in, of the taxi industry is you know employs women or is run by women. you told me you've seen a female taxi driver once i you know that has to be you know one of two out there, <laughs> so I think why interesting chatting to Lebo is just. Is just the idea of, I think the problem is clear. It's a patriarchal country. It's a patriarchal society um, that's already hostile for women. You've got an especially hostile and masculine industry in, our, in already, you know, in a, in, a, in a society that's already hostile to women. So, you know, where do we start? Um, sorry, Lebo, I'm sorry we lost you. Uh, you were saying, uh, you were speaking about your engagement with women in communities and about harassment being a daily occurrence. Yes, and I'm saying it is informed by the fact that uh, there is general belief that women and their bodies are for the enjoyment of other people. So women themselves don't have a right to their bodies. And the, the way in which it happens really demonstrates uh, what I am talking about in a sense that women will talk about, and, and this is how pervasive it is, just being in a taxi and the mere fact that you are in a taxi, you find the fact that... Um, a man can just put their hands on your side. And in fact, what I found very disturbing about that is how that has become normalized in mm. a sense that 
while it, it may be done by one man, other people other people who notice it do not do anything about mm. it. So, for an example, you will find that um, the, the woman will say, all I do is to smile and not dare say anything yeah. because I don't know if that action can be worse or if the person can just leave me on the side of the road. The, the, the danger that we are seeing as well is the fact that when a woman flags a taxi and they get inside it, um, let's say there are two or three people in the taxi, they are never sure whether that is a syndicate or that it is a valid taxi. There is no way of knowing when you are stopping public transport. And the other problem is the fact that this can happen at any time yeah. of the day. I mean, absolutely. And I'm curious, so how, when you get these issues and, and, and you, you know, are trying to have a conversation without, with, with the South African National Taxi Council, Santaco, what, how, how is this received from their side? You know, it's very interesting with Santaco because they were very, um, willing and, uh, to condemn the actions. And their stance is that, we would like to cooperate. Okay. But I don't see anything that says in their actions they have actually even addressed and interrogated the violent manner in which their members conduct themselves. Mm. And, 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 you know, when there is a culture of violence, when a group of people condemn on one side a rape of a woman, but in their day-to-day manner in which they conduct their own business, the very first thing that they do is to be violent. It, it, for me, it's a contradiction in terms. And they may argue that, you know, they've got, and I have heard them say that in a panel discussion we had about the pressures that they have, about how government is not treating them fairly. Mm. But they don't interrogate. And I think that is the issue with violence against women perpetrated across all boards, is that men do not interrogate their own misogyny and their own ways in which they perpetuate this violence. So, you know, they are saying, we don't want our members to do this. This is a few rotten apples. But then they will have a strike against uh, Toyota and it can easily end violent. Or they can threaten violence. Or they don't explain why there aren't the regulations that are needed to make women... And I think for us, what we need to understand is that patriarchy ultimately is about power. And those that have power, even when they are not using violence, even if they as an individual man have not held a woman against their will and stuff, it is very difficult to give up that power. So it's very simple for people to say, of course we condemn, we don't want our members to do this, without really questioning the attitude and the beliefs that inform, even if it was a few men, and in those cases I'm telling you it's not a few men, a few men acting that way. I, for us, we are coming up with a taxi charter because we want all stakeholders, including the Department of Transport, to really look at what it is that it can do to regulate the taxi industry, particularly when it comes to the safety of, 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 of women and children a lot better. And the example I always make, because I think for me it is just one thing that shows 
it's an indictment on our part is the fact that there are no criminal checks made on anybody who drives the taxi. Mm. So you could be having your child on scholar transport and they are driven by a pedophile. In fact, we've got experiences of that through our Soul Buddies Club program where it took 14-year-olds to report a 60-year-old man who had been abusing um, um, children um, for a while as he was driving them to school. And if we had checks and balances, as just one example of what needs to be done, and Santago Department of Transport and everybody else was out there saying we need those criminal checks, it could be better. You don't know when you get into a text what you are getting your, 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 yourself into. The people who are continuing to abduct women are doing so without impunity. With impunity, sorry. Um, Lebo, just so you've mentioned the charter, you've mentioned certain checks and balances that could be introduced to try to try to improve this situation. But it appears that not only within the taxi industry, but within South Africa, but obviously let's use the taxi industry as an example, that the culture of uh, patriarchy, the culture of violence against women and perhaps just disrespecting women, to put it simply, um, is so entrenched. Where where can we even start tackling such a such an overwhelming challenge? You know, we need to handle it at all strands simultaneously. I am very happy to see groups like Soweto Women's Forum mm. that in the past while we have worked with have mobilized other women to speak out about this. And I think you saw even with the recent takes rate that after one woman, one woman had spoken out, more others spoke out. So the idea of speaking out is a very important one. I, I also like, you know, uh, the voices that were lent by different organizations because some of these conversations um, need to happen. I think when pre-94 we were fighting for a, a, a non-racist, non-sexist society, we compromised interrogating what it will mean to have a non-sexist society. And whether it is in jokes, whether it is in how men talk about women, whether it's calling a woman a chick as if they are a baby chicken or whether it, it permeates in so many ways. And I think once we, we have the same kind of attitude around race that is beginning to emerge, mm. like it did with the outsurance ad, we have it around sexism and other things, you know, you will begin to have people understand what is, a, what, is, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. And that needs a voice. And that is why for us, uh, as an organization, we basically want to make sure that we put this on the national um, agenda and we work with, with, with media platforms like you. But the second thing that needs to happen is that men in all their formations, rather than go out there and say we are marching against the rape of women, they must talk about the rapists. You know, it's very simple to say it's our women. I also don't understand what is our women because it really, for me, underlies that thing of ownership. Mm. Men must talk about the rapists. Mm. Men must talk about their own actions mm. and how it is a gray area, how one man will think I am not a rapist but can completely make sexist jokes without even thinking, can, can, can just be misogynistic without even betting an idea. So it is very important, and men like Texas Shai, who has lent his support to the Sonke Gender Justice uh, platform, um, is very important. 
the police need to act. I think we are having a general problem with gender-based violence in South Africa in general, that people talk a lot about how they are treated when they get to police stations. And with the kind of uh, public utterances that the minister, Sikile uh, Mbalula, said um, on, 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 you know, in, in, in public, mm. we hope that he is going to clean out in the police and we will really have specialized units that deal with gender-based violence and it will be seen to be, uh, I mean, it will, it, 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 it will be given peace. Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for chatting to us. Unfortunately, we've run out of time, but thank you for the important work. We'll continue to watch the, the Safe Taxis chat and, and to support your work. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Um, I mean, Greg, I think what, what comes through there is, is just the size of the challenge. We've already talked about um, you know, the, the size of the taxi industry and how perhaps even viewing it as one thing is, pro- is probably incorrect mm-hmm. already given all the interconnectedness of the different bodies within it. And then secondly, we've got this other beast, which is, you know, patriarchy. Um, yeah. even, so, even I think it's interesting in this conversation how we continually mention Sentaku, the, the, the taxi association. Um, but we, Eric mentioned them a little bit before, yeah. but the National Taxi Alliance is, is its rival. That's also a, a very large a thing, yeah. national taxi association. Yeah. But on, on the, on issues of gender-based violence and harassment in, yeah. in the industry, I think, one of the things Eric seemed to repeat before yeah. was that the industry has its own culture and it's very um, entrenched, that culture, and you have to learn it. And I think it's going to be very hard to change. And, of course, those you know those norms and standards within that culture yeah. relate to the broader South African culture. Yeah. And yeah. so um, I think it's fantastic, though, there are certain groups now starting to at least trying to confront some of these issues because yeah, I think – like you said before, both you and I catch taxis, but yeah. I don't think we have any um, any experience of that that type of um, sort of fear and harassment and 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 those sort of things that that women deal with on a on a constant sort of daily basis when you're just going to Brie or MTN taxi rank or yeah. wherever, and you have to constantly put up with with people sort of cat calling you, grabbing your hand, and you know then swearing at you when, when you ignore them. Um, but that seems to be, at least from, you know, the stories we hear yeah, and, and our friends, what they tell us is that seems to be such a constant, um, in, in commuters' lives. Absolutely. I mean, I think one thing, and, you know, we're trying to set up one last interview if we can. Um, one thing, I, when we talk about taxi recapitalization, I know you, you thought that was really interesting from a regulatory perspective in terms of, a small case study of, of attempts by government of perhaps of an opportunity to come in with good intentions to bring some formality, bring some registration mm. to all the taxis and how, you know, something even despite good intentions and perhaps a good idea just doesn't work. And that's something you looked into. Yeah. So um, we were talking about the future of, of the taxi industry. Yeah. And one of the things that, that sort of kept coming up is actually, so if you look at Gauteng, for example, um, the province envisages a much smaller uh, taxi industry or smaller role yeah. within the public transport system, yeah. you know, in, you know, 10 years from now. Um, but, but what they sort of see happening is linking up, and it's already sort of happening in certain places, yeah. is ensuring that taxis um, and other forms of public transport link up together. So, you know, if you, um, let's say, having taxi ranks near train stations yeah. and, and or near your BRT, your yeah. Riavaya stops, for example. Um, but with sort of that integrated role that they hope that the taxi industry can play, what they effectively need to do is to formalise and and sort of regulate the taxi industry, which, as as we heard before, mm. it's never 
it's never quite got there. And government's attempts through things like the recapitalization project to do that have just sort of never quite worked out. And I think it's often because, number one, uh, like Eric mentioned before, there are so many different role players within yeah. the taxi industry and it's hard just to get them to come to any sort of negotiating table number one, let alone, let alone an agreement and a path forward on these issues. Um, number two, it sort of seems, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not an expert on this and hopefully we can get our next guest on the line to help, help us out on this, but it also sort of seems that when government introduces some of these plans, they themselves don't quite understand or know how to work with the taxi industry, which is very difficult, and they yeah. sort of they can push certain things, but in the end, they always seem to to fall below their targets, and they, and they effectively always seem to fail, and often even have weird and, and sort of unintended consequences, yeah. such as um, the the economics of what Eric was talking about yeah. earlier. Of yeah. you know, government gives you fifty thousand rand to to um, turn in and um, trade in, I guess your your old crappy you know your sort of unsafe taxi yeah, an upgrade yeah and upgrade but fifty thousand rand is you know what's that like an eighth of the cost i don't know what it was back then but an yeah. eighth of the cost of a new toyota quantum yeah i think then it was about two hundred thousand, or even mm-hmm. more than that was it was a part and, of a quantum and and so then people have to find the money for for their you know the for the next um, yeah. quantum so I, I guess they can they take out loans but then these loans are um have very high interest rates yeah. attached to them um, and so there are all these sort of unintended consequences of that and, and the efforts of government to, to use that incentive to effectively try to regulate the industry. Yeah. That, that's actually what was going on. Yeah. They weren't just, what well, one of the ambitions, of course, was to improve road safety yeah. and, get, and get unsafe taxis off the road. Mm. But behind all that, the idea was to actually try to, um, much, find much sort of stronger regulations on the industry through formalizing it and ensuring that everyone signed up. Um, we know who's where. Yeah, we know your owner, we know the driver, we know the car, and mm. you know, got a good That's right. So, so it's, I think it's going to be interesting going forward considering, yeah. considering the government often, often sort of fails on these issues, how, and the tax industry is so resistant to change, how as, as governments, um, try to improve public transport systems, the, what the future of the taxi industry will be. And, and we'll see if what Eric said, um, is true, that it may has, may have already re- reached its apex and will be in decline. Oh. I mean, absolutely. I mean, uh, one, one, sorry, you was something. No, no, I was going to say what, one of the other sort of, um, on the flip side of that's from a government and I guess public transport user perspective on, on the, on the issues to, um, formalize, to, to, to formalize taxis. Um, but on the other side, um, on the other side is the issue of if, if taxis can become more regulated and formalized, then what can happen is that Okay, let me start with this issue of last week you might have seen Siswet Lomo and, and some sort of other guys debating on Twitter about why hasn't the taxi industry been able to leverage its billions and billions of, of rands worth. Yeah, there's so many of you, you have so much money often in cash, surely you, you can make something happen. So why can't they sort of use their economies of scale yeah. and start in, and sort of, you know, start uh, selling their own quantums or whatever or even yeah. manufacturing them yeah. or, or doing all these sort of different things to, to leverage that power that they have. But, the key reason or one of the key reasons they haven't been able to is because it's not formalized. It's not a formal structure that they can come together and so divided. Yeah. So for example, I said something before, like there's something, something towards about 600,000 taxis in South Africa yeah. that are in use. The average taxi owner owns four taxis. So that means there are about two, over 200,000 taxi owners in the country. Yeah. There's, I think within Gauteng alone, there's something like 170, 180, that's rough figures, but, um, taxi associations. And then they fit, fit into the bigger associations, yeah. bigger associations. It's a very divided and very sort of disparate and, and 
sort of fractured and uh, multi-layered uh, industry. Mm. So it makes it extremely difficult for them for them to come together and leverage these economies of scale when they are so separate and when when they they struggle so much to come together. Um, there was an interesting example. I don't know if you know, but in February in Soweto, a few different um, taxi companies, taxi uh, associations there came together and started their own garage. Okay. And they're actually undercutting the 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 national um, petrol price, which supposedly is illegal, but that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. But um, this actually has a has a precedent. In the eighties, in the mid eighties, I think it was. Ta- I can't remember. I think it was then it was, it was one of the the biggest black taxi association. I can't remember what the name was then, but they entered into a partnership with Shell Shell Garages, and the idea was that they're going to set up Shell Garages yeah. across the country yeah. that, that are sort of run and owned by the taxi industries, yeah. and the taxis would then frequent mm. those garages. Yeah. That was the idea. Yeah. But they didn't, they didn't run them so well and they didn't offer any sort of, I don't think many of them were started, but they didn't offer enough incentives for the drivers to come there and for the mm. owners to send their taxis to these, to these places. Mm. So in the end, these guys just, Started using other garages yeah. and, and some of the other garages that garages that had no links at all to the yeah. tax industry actually offered more incentives. Maybe they, you know, that help a driver out with a meal or something yeah. like that. But so there's this huge challenge of the tax industry could be this behemoth and mega sort of industry and company. You've seen as one and, entity. Yeah. And particularly considering that it's black owned, it'd be enormous and, and sort of game changing mm. in terms of if it was able to leverage, um, um, the, the money that sort of passes through the industry. But there are so many um, challenges and obstacles in, in reaching that 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 point. Greg Nicholson, a fantastic summary. Um, I think I've certainly got a better sense of of some of the challenges. Uh, I think the way forward is not too clear yet, but I think we've done really well at breaking down the the complexities, the challenges that that, that come if we're really going to have a sort of well regulated industry that's safe for passengers, safe for women. That's, that's, that creates a livelihood, sustainable livelihood for the drivers and for the owners. Um, and that's integrated with, uh, with our attempts to be, you know, at least a world class city in quotes for Johannesburg and to have efficient transport for the country that gets people, you know, to and from where they need to be in, in cities and, and, and provinces that are really not set up for black people to be able to get from townships to places of work. If you haven't taken any, anything else away from this show, I think you just just picture this in your head of you know everyone running off a taxi, yelling um Lilo and smoke coming in, and Kingsley not knowing their language, just sitting there, not knowing what's going on, thinking the party is about to start. I think that's it for today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for listening to the Daily Maverick Show on CliffCentral.com. Back to have Greg and I both in the studio as usual. Please download the podcast, share it far and wide with your friends and family. We'll see you next week, same time, same place. Show on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.